We are in a series where we're looking at the offerings that were made, at least the offerings that are pointed out in uh, the book of Matthew by the Magi. And we've talked a little bit about some of the known and well-known or the scriptures that we think we know. And some of the, as we look at the scriptures, what those actually say. Uh, this uh, whole series really kind of based on not just one story or even one chapter, but really, when it comes right down to it, probably just one verse, Matthew chapter 2, verse 11, the Magi had come with an offering. Matthew in the ESV uh, translation says this, <clears throat> going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, they fell down and worshiped him, they opened their treasures, they offered him gifts. Gold and frankincense and myrrh. Their offering had a meaning. There was a purpose behind the gift. Um, Hopefully in the season of giving, you're thinking about that. And there's kind of a couple of ways to give gifts, right? There's the kind of what Jim was talking about. There's the, the convenient way, right? And there's the easy way. Uh. The convenient way is just, you know, get a, you know, cash uh, donation, a gift card or something like that. And you know it'll be used, but you don't have to put a lot of thought into it, right? Uh, some people are into homemade gifts, which is just, you know, it's, it's uh, not often extravagant, but it's, it's an extraordinary amount of time put into the gifts. But often there's a whole lot of meaning. My, my grandfather... Uh, uh, on my dad's side, this is something I think I told you about before. He loved to work in the wood shop. And so the family tradition became on Christmas, he, grandpa would draw a name. And if your name got drawn, then he would spend the entire year uh, making something for you for the next Christmas. It was uh, one of the greatest treasures in my uh, house. You know, if the house was on fire, what would you save? You know, besides your family and your Bible. Uh, is is the bookshelf that's in my office. It uh, is not anything that you would look at and go, wow, that's an amazing piece of furniture, but it means a lot to me because I know the hours, the sweat, the sawdust that went into making that was from a man uh, that I dearly love. There was purpose behind the gift. There was meaning behind the gift. Well, when we think about their offering toward Jesus... There was meaning and purpose behind the gift. Now, I don't want to skip right past the fact, and some of you mentioned this to me, and this is true, that, that the gifts may have actually had a very practical use for Mary and Joseph. Uh, these were costly gifts we're going to look at, uh, certainly last week, uh, very costly of gold uh, in any age or any culture, right? Valuable. Um, But these gifts of value may have been used to help the family in their escape. Remember, they're in Bethlehem. Shortly uh, after, in fact, the very next verse, uh, verse 13, uh, now they had, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. You think about this. This is a very, like you go from this ah moment of the, you know, the magi arriving, these gifts, and, and whether it was in the very same 
Probably not, but because the, 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 the Magi leave. But shortly thereafter, says, when they departed, the angel, the angelic messenger of God says, it's time to go. And there's a sense of urgency, like, time to go. And if you think about that, this poor uh, young couple, very modest means, uh, what did they have? To make a journey from Bethlehem to Egypt, which, which is by some estimates over 100 miles. And then not just to make the journey, but, but to stay there in Egypt, in a foreign land where presumably they had no connections. And so this, this family was able to pull this off, probably in no small part, to these very costly, valuable gifts. Uh, and, and maybe that was their lifeline. A modern example of this, uh, perhaps you've read about uh, people that are exiting California and the city of New York because of the just abysmal leadership that's happening. Okay, the, the people who can leave California and New York are people who can afford to do so. I mean, quite honestly, they, people with means to do that are doing that. The only people who are remaining in those states are people who can't afford to leave. And you think about what Mary, this, the, the position that Mary and Joseph would have been in with Emmanuel if they could not have left. So these gifts had not just a, a meaning, but they had a very practical use as they certainly may have financed the family's flight to Egypt. Beyond their practical gifts, we think about the meaning. Last week we said that gold being the first gift, was the gift of royalty. And the message, of course, is that Jesus is king, a concept that we're intellectually familiar with, but not practically familiar with. And so their, their gift had great meaning. It was an offering that you made only toward royalty. And the meaning for us is that we should be his royal subjects, that we subject our lives and our hearts to him. The second gift is frankincense. Frankincense is a little, certainly well, less well-known than gold. Uh, last week when I mentioned gold, I had a couple of people who could tell me the exact price of gold. $1,845 last Sunday. I don't know what it is today. Um, but they knew, they're familiar with that, right? I'm almost 100% sure that there's no one here in person or online that knows the current value of frankincense in the commodities market, Okay. It's not as well known. Um, this is, the at least with gold and frankincense, a fulfillment. We talked about Isaiah this morning in our welcome call to worship. In Isaiah chapter 60, if you care to turn there, uh, this is a, a prophecy about the future glory of Israel and the, the kingdom and uh, Jerusalem's restoration and all that. And in the midst of this prophecy in verse 6, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but... It just, just kind of throws this in there. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those of Sheba, of, from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news and praises of the Lord. These gifts were fulfillment of ancient prophecy. And we see this again and again. And these prophecies are, are things that the Jewish people would know. That we're not, as modern Gentiles, too familiar with them. We don't see them. We don't catch them. We don't have our radar on. Uh, but this, this uh, second gift 
is it no doubt the fulfillment of this prophecy that someone, not just a king had been born, not just someone of royal descent had been born, but someone who fulfilled prophecy. So let's talk a little bit about frankincense. What exactly is it? Um, so I last week brought a sample of gold, not really gold. I brought fool's gold because can't afford gold. Um, but this week I actually did, uh, you can buy frankincense on Amazon. It's, it's an amazing world that we live in. Um, and it is really fascinating kind of stuff. Um, you can't smell it, but I can. And uh, I know some of the kids last week coming up to look at this, and that's fine. But this is basically, it kind of looks like a nerds, you know, the nerds candy. I would not recommend eating the frankincense. That would, uh, that would not be wise. But they have a very strong aromatic resin. I mean, just to put your nose over the, the bag, is, um, it's a lot. It, uh, it's very pungent, very powerful. And this uh, resin, is basically what it is, is resin that's harvested from the Buswalia tree. And it's fascinating, the process that they use, uh, it's still very highly valued uh, in Middle Eastern cultures, uh, both then and today. It's used quite a bit. Um, And what they use is, or what they do to produce it is, they scrape the bark off the Boswellia tree, and then they harvest the resin from that. And I'll show you that process here in a little bit. But this resin is largely used as incense. I mean, that's the main purpose of it. And they used it uh, certainly in worship. That was a big part of the sacrificial offerings. And so these, this incense was used. You think, well, what? You know, I understand how a young family could use, you know, gold, and they might trade that and what have you. But uh, frankincense was just as valuable. It was uh, highly valued in that culture for, for worship and things like that, but also just in their day-to-day life. They didn't have air fresheners. They didn't um, have the hygiene that we just expect today. And so this was often used uh, just within their lives. And so it was something that was highly valuable. From a religious perspective, uh, incense is mentioned a number of times in the pages of Scripture, Uh, 15 times by my count, more or less, as... um, with uh, with related to Old Testament worship in both the temple of, of Solomon and also the tabernacle. So, um, turn to Exodus chapter 30. We'll look at a couple of passages. Exodus chapter 30. And describing... Uh, mine says, actually says the altar of incense at the top of this section. But, but looking at uh, verse, there's a whole lot said about it, but uh, I want to look at verse 34. Um, the Lord said to Moses, Take sweet spices, stakti, agna, gabanum, sweet spices, pure frankincense, of each there shall be an equal part. And make an incense blended by the perfumer, seasoned with salt, pure and holy. It wasn't just to be any incense. It was to be made, again, this offering was to 
be, have, have, have great thought and care and, and precision put into it uh, as it was prepared. And it reminds me that we are called to live, to be an offering, to be an aroma, pure and holy. Frankincense, uh, we said last week, I don't know if I can make this digital. There we go. Okay, so like last week we said in the, um, within the temple, we had lots of gold from the Holy of Holies, uh, and, and everything was just covered in gold. Well, okay, so where is incense used? Incense is largely used outside. Whoop. Eh, I don't know what's happening there. there we go. Um, right here at the altar was where the incense was largely used. And it was used in the grain offerings. Okay, And so this is the picture I want you to get as people came to worship. This was a multi-sensory experience. They were seeing the gold and they were smelling the aroma of no doubt frankincense as one of the chief uh, smells that they would smell as they came in and they smelled, uh, particularly the grain offerings as these, these were made. This is what you would have filled the air as they worshiped. Frankincense was only involved with the worship of deity. Um, and they, they were very serious about that as we think about um, the worship of God. This is why... In, the frankincense was so important because it was an integral part of these sacrifices that were made. Um, it was used for a sacrifice at the altar. You didn't, you didn't get into the temple. You didn't, didn't get to the Holy of Holies. You didn't get to the presence of God without the sacrifice first being made. Of course, we are, we are seeing again and again these, these foreshadowings of what was to come. Uh, as we said, frankincense was used for the worship only for the worship of deity. Now, I've been describing how that was used in Jewish worship, but but pagan religions also used frankincense. This was a bit of a controversy in the early church. Early Christians were forbode from from having anything to do with frankincense because it was so associated with pagan religions, and so not just the Jews who worshipped the temple, but everyone, when you smelled the odor of frankincense, uh, you knew that something sacred was happening. Uh, still, some religions today use it in worship. I was looking at uh, some, some stats on, on frankincense itself, and uh, the, the number one customer for frankincense, for, for, for buying it and ordering it, is the Catholic Church. And they still use that as part of their worship today. I told you I was going to tell you how, it, how it's harvest, because I think this is particularly meaningful when we think about Christ. So if we'll turn the sound up, we'll watch this short little video. By hand, just as it was done thousands of years ago. The harvester takes a specialized knife and delicately scrapes down a small portion of the frankincense tree's bark. Milky liquid races to the surface, later solidifying into a delicate resin to keep the tree's precious water from escaping. After 10 days, the harvester returns, scrapes off the white resin, and cuts the tree a second time. With this cut, the frankincense resin, though still unusable, becomes more aromatic. Each cut produces a more valuable resin, with greater quantities of essential oil. When the harvester cuts the tree a third time, the resin comes out a yellow-brown color and is very aromatic. This is the valuable resin harvesters work so hard to cultivate. Harvesters cut the tree up to seven times during the season, each cut producing more resin than the last.
Okay, so um, it, it, that was very interesting as I considered as these magi bringing this offering of pure frankincense, how this frankincense was harvested is virtually the same then as it is today. First, the tree is wounded, bruised and cut, uh, and it's going to go through this process three times, and they'll do this seven times in a single season, wounding the tree and causing the tree to do what? To bleed. And this is the term they'll actually use, that they're bleeding the tree. And not just the first time, the second time, the third time, it's bled so that it continues to produce that which is most valuable. The costly offering of frankincense reminds us of Jesus' deity and his sacrifice on the sacred tree. Frankincense points us, uh, if gold points us to the royalty of Christ, frankincense points us to the deity of Christ. Jesus was both the great high priest and the one who made the holy offering. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14 says this. Um, Hebrews 4.14. For since we then have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet was without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, I read a scripture and probably just kind of rolled through, but if you think about Again, lay over this idea of frankincense, how it was harvested, how it was used, and who offered it. Uh, This just goes right together. We have a great high priest. The high priest was the only one who could make the sacred offering. Now, Jesus is is that great high priest, and he's not just any high priest. He's perfect. He didn't just make an offering. He was the offering. He was not just offerer. He was offering. See, you and I, I mean, maybe this morning had the opportunity to make an offering, but nobody here offered themselves. Jesus being high priest is very different because he's the only one. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize, but one in every respect has been tempted just as we are yet without sin. He is perfect, pure, and holy offering made by the offerer so that we may have confidence as we approach the throne of grace. Jesus went to a tree where he was cut and wounded many, many times. As his blood poured out, it was pure and holy. Many people, you see, it's not just being crucified. There were lots of people who were crucified on Roman crosses. There were two other men who were crucified on Roman crosses the same day as Jesus. We understand They were not pure nor holy. Their sacrifice could not atone. Their offering meant nothing. What made Jesus different is the fact that he was both offerer, high priest, and offering atonement. Matthew chapter 1.
verse 22 through 24. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Please, please do not fall into the trap of thinking that Jesus was just a good man, a moral teacher, and a religious figure. Because if Jesus was that, then Jesus was nothing. Jesus made very clear claims about who he was and why he came. And if he wasn't those things, then he was not a good man. He certainly wasn't a moral teacher and should not be considered a religious figure. But from the very beginning, Matthew says he is Emmanuel, meaning God with us. If you don't like Matthew, go to John. John's right there in the beginning. Starts out with a, a, a text that the Jews would have certainly have known. In the beginning, what does he say? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Scripture is very clear about who Jesus was and what he came to do. Colossians 2.9, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. You say, preacher, how does that work? To which I answer, I have no earthly idea. I do not understand the Incarnation. How the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. But that is exactly what I believe happened. And that is exactly what the scriptures testify happened when Jesus came for us. And so, besides all of this interesting trivia about who Jesus was, God with us, and the one who was with God in the beginning, and the fullness of deity dwelling bodily, what does that mean for us? The application, I, I view it as this. May our lives be a holy aroma. Turn to, turn to one last scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Paul's describing our triumph in Christ. And he's using an analogy that they would have understood that we probably don't, don't have time to get in. But he talks about this triumphal procession. When, when the... Soldiers went to war, and they were victorious, and they came back, and they had this wonderful, beautiful procession. It's kind of like what you, what you envision like a parade, though we don't nearly do those kind of parades as much anymore. But, but this is a part of their culture, and he, and he says, this is us. Verse 14, thanks be to God, who, all, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. And your, your and I offerings is to be a holy, fragrant, pure offering. When people come into our lives, when people talk with us at work, when people interact with us on Zoom, when people talk with us across the fence next to our neighbors, when we, when we interact with people at the store... Whenever we, our lives intersect with other lives, they should be interacting with a, something that's holy, something that's aromatic, something that is, that is, wow, there's something different there. How do they have the hope that they have? 
Why are they so full of peace in a world that's just full of pandemic? Where is their sense of calm in a world of chaos? Where does that come from? That's the aroma of Christ. And, And Paul says, through us, we become this living fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere we go. And that to me is so cool. But I want you to think about this for just a minute. There's, there's good odors and there's bad odors. Look at verse 15. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? When you smell like Christ, when you are the aroma of Christ, some people are going to receive that favorably, and some are not. This, earlier this past week, there was something that had died. I don't know what, what <laughs> something, I don't know where it was coming from, but it's just as soon as you open the door to the building there on the south entrance, it just hits you. It's like, oh man, something has died here. Okay, And in some ways, when people smell the aroma of Christ, perhaps they smell the smell of death. Oh, something has died here. Something is not right. And to the other, the fragrance from life to life. Frankincense was a offering that you made to deity. It was a holy, pure sacrifice made. But there was no mistaking its purpose. May there be no mistaking our purpose either. I uh, received a gift from Santa yesterday. Uh, A Traeger smoker grill. And I am a total newbie, okay? I'm really excited to use it. And so we get this thing and, and man, I I don't know if you have a Traeger or not, but it is, it's it's just an amazing piece of technology, okay? Basically using wood pellets, burn those in a very efficient way, and smoke food in a way that is just wonderful, very tasteful. And I was like, okay, got this tray or what, what am I going to smoke? So I decided, well, you might have guessed, I decided to smoke some chicken. Uh, so I go out there, follow the instructions and the recipe, get everything ready, and just wait, right? And timer goes off, the temperature's right and everything, and lift the lid, and it looks good, and Thermometer says it's good, and I bring this tray of smoked chicken inside. And everyone from myself all the way down to our dog, Charlie, knew there was smoked chicken in the house. You could not miss the aroma. Now, my question for you is this. In your life, do people miss the aroma of Christ? Or when you're around and you're gathered as for your holiday events and, and at work and at school and, and all the like, or do people cannot help but miss the fragrance of Christ and the aroma of a Christ-like life and the aroma of an offering made pure and holy by one? If you can't say that, maybe it's time to re-examine whether your life what areas it could be more aromatic and more flavorful 
and more Christ-like. And of course, maybe, maybe you haven't even entered into the Holy of Holies. Maybe you have not taken on the sacrifice that was made for you. If you need to do that, we can make arrangements for that this morning as well. Uh, this morning, I want to challenge you to let your life be a fragrant aroma so that people cannot miss what's happening in your life and what God's doing in your life. And if you need to take on life, if you're ready to step into life with Christ, uh, this morning as we stand and sing, at the back will be our shepherds. And they'll be there at the doors. And if you need to make things right, if you need to in some way change your life, or if you need to put on Christ so you can have life in the waters of baptism, uh, we can make that happen this morning. Whatever your need is, please come as we stand.